Incoming transmission from the Babylon Project. Babylon Project, our last best hope for trash. This is a rewatch podcast for Babylon 5, featuring two veterans of the show and one newbie. I am your newbie host, Justin, and here to help me along are my co-hosts, Jude and Anna. Jude, Anna, how you doing? I'm really proud of how I just made everybody crack up by making a Muppet noise, so I'm doing great. Yeah, you should be proud of that. <laughs> I'm, I'm, well, I just watched like four or five of the last episodes of season four, so... The fact that I'm oh, buddy. not like emotionally destroyed uh, probably speaks to my lack of emotional. Well, I mean, I'm already on a lot of emotional uh, antidepressants, but I think it speaks more to my uh, lack of emotional range than anything else. Because <laughs> I feel like you really can't watch like the last four episodes of this season, less Deconstruction of Falling Stars, uh, without feeling some some sads. Yeah. And we're we're gonna be getting into that tonight. Yeah. Well, not um, not tonight for the listeners. Tonight for the recorders. Yeah. Although, I mean, it's not like we're watching a bunch of chipper fun time filler episodes this yeah. evening. We we have some some capital C content to cover this e- in this episode. Yeah, I've got a question for you about tonight. What would it take for you to sell out your co-hosts? Five hundred gigabytes of Centauri porn. <laughs> I like that the response to this is n- no no shock whatsoever on either face. Just nods. <laughs> Just resignation. I'm resignation like, yeah. and nods from my co-hosts. I'm glad. I'm glad. I think maybe I might do it for a Babylon 5 remake. Ooh, good Ouch. answer. I would be content to be sold out for a Babylon 5 remake. I mean, if, if I can like... If, if, a if, good if, one. A good one. If in the horrible prison camp that uh, Anna has sold us out to, uh, I can at least, like, smuggle a bootleg DVD, sure. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 Bake us a cake with a with a USB drive and, in it. And I might be just, like, selling you out into slavery on the writer's team or something. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, um, right, yeah. right. Warner Brothers, Warner Brothers is a fate worse than death. Exactly. <laughs> Who knows? I might, you know, that might end up to be like working for DC or something. Ooh, zing. To all the followers of Jay edited on Twitter, that joke makes more sense and lands a little more forcefully. So tonight we are covering two episodes, in fact. Uh, episode 17 and 18, season four, Face of the Enemy, and Intersections in Real Time. Anna, you're leading us off. Take it away. All right. So, for Face of the Enemy, this is uh, episode 17 of season four, written by JMS and directed by Michael Vehar, a familiar name. Good old workhorse, man. He's staying busy this season. We should, like, do, we should do, like, a... Uh, We need to do the babbies. It needs to be in the next babbies. So, best director. No, 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 no. Here's here's my drunk podcast feed idea, is that... We rake every single multi-episode director. <laughs> oh, that's good. <laughs> yeah, let's put do that, that in the Discord. Make a note of that in the Discord because that's a legitimately great idea. Yeah. Anybody that's directed more than like two or three episodes, 
let's let's rank them. No, 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 no. We have to include two episoders because that means Adam Nimoy gets in and our big buddy Medikin Benetsky. <laughs> Wolf. Yeah, gotta put. Yeah. Okay. So. Yep. Mm-hmm. All right. So at the start of the episode, we get a summary of how the struggle to take back Earth is going. Uh, overall, well. Um, but more and more ships are refusing to surrender to Sheridan and his fleet. Apparently, Clark's propaganda machine is in full working order, uh, working on convincing captains and crews that if they surrender, they won't, you know, join a just cause. Instead, they'll be executed and replaced by Minbari. McDuggan, um, or McDugan, uh, convinces the enemy ships to stand down, however, in our latest tussle. And we get a new arrival. The Agamemnon, Sheridan's old ship. They have come to join the fight, and they didn't even need to be defeated first. Once Sheridan is on board, he gets a message from Garibaldi. Clark's people have captured Sheridan's father. But Garibaldi? Good old Garibaldi, he has a rescue plan. A rescue plan that requires Sheridan to join him on Mars. John verifies the info using his own channels, and apparently it's legit. Against everyone else's advice, Sheridan heads to Mars, transported by the Agamemnon. Ivanova is in charge now, not of the station, but of the fleet itself. Meanwhile, B-5 is left in Delenn's hands. Uh, they The reason for this is partly that they want to keep humans in command of the fleet to avoid the rather questionable optics of uh, a fleet led by Mimbari attacking Earth again, because that did not work well the last time. Yeah, it's valid. John shows up in the bar to meet Garibaldi and realizes that he has been betrayed. Baldi partially sedates him, and a, bar- a bunch of Clark's goons subdue him the rest of the way in a rather trippy bar fight sequence. Garibaldi just sits back as the half-tranked Sheridan gets pummeled, like the creepy, sadistic motherfucker we all know and hate. Having delivered both Sheridan and his father, Garibaldi demands answers from Edgars about what's really going on in lieu of 30 pieces of silver. A reference, I will note, that is called out on the damn screen by Garibaldi himself. Edgars spills the beans. He's not actually worried about Clark at all, just about the telepaths that Clark put into power. To keep these telepaths in check, he has engineered a virus that only affects telepaths, plus an effective treatment that needs to be taken every two weeks to prevent death in anyone affected. He plans to first release the virus, and then the treatment. Uh, His solution to the telepaths' threat of, quote, death of human liberty and human thought is to turn them into slaves while also making bank on the cure, I guess. Now that Clark is distracted by his new toy, Sheridan, Edgars is free to release the virus. The fucker even says the telepath problem will finally be over. Garibaldi confirms that he is 100% still on board with this plan, um, but Lise also overhears it from behind a pillar and is clearly horrified. Um, as anybody in their right mind should be. Garibaldi is left alone and promptly removes a false molar from his mouth and activates a transmitter in it. We next see him in a transport tube, staring vacantly into space as Lise tries to convince him to stop her husband from committing genocide. His only response is to tell her to go back home. The reason that Garibaldi is in the tube soon becomes apparent as Bester joins him. 
Bester telepathically debriefs Garibaldi and gives the denouement for this particular subplot. Apparently, the Shadows captured Baldi to tinker with, to sow chaos once Sheridan nuked Zahadoom. But Bester intercepted them and saved Baldi to do his own tinkering. He amped up Garibaldi's suspicion, paranoia, rebelliousness, etc., and set him loose back on the station, making sure to put him in the right place at the right time to be approached by Edgars and to re- regularly update his firmware via Kaleidoscope Zoom message. <laughs> Now that Garibaldi's role in Bester's plan is over, the Psycop mulls over what to do with him. He could just kill him now, or leave him with the conditioning intact to continue to sow chaos, because that's fun. Or he could, you know, restore him to his original personality. No matter what he chooses, um, Garibaldi is completely fucked, because everyone on the station knows about Garibaldi's betrayal. Bester ultimately restores Garibaldi to his previous personality, which is approximately 10% less asshole-ish, and leaves him to reboot in the train car. When Baldi comes to, he rushes back to Edgar's home. Edgar's and Wade are dead, and Lise, the virus, and the treatment are all missing. Confirming Garibaldi's current position on the station shit list, once Ivanova hears of Sheridan's capture, she orders that Garibaldi be shot on sight if he tries to return. ISN reports that Edgars was assassinated by Free Mars and congratulates Garibaldi for helping to rescue Sheridan, who is apparently being well-treated. We'll, we'll re- see more about that in the next episode. Yeah. And is expressing regret for his actions now that he is freed of alien influences. We do have a smidgen of B-plot here, which follows Lita and Franklin as they reach Mars with a, their cargo of frozen telepasticals. Number one is super hostile to Lita, who explains to Franklin that this is because of invasive scans currently being conducted by the bloodhound units of the Psychor to try to find resistance members on Mars. Lisa, uh, Lita also explains why she left the Psychop internship, uh, other than just, you know, lack of career advancement possibilities, etc. Uh, <laughs> so she was apparently present for a black op dealing with somebody who was murdering telepaths, you know, instead of going through proper judicial channels, instead, you know, completely fucking up his mind and turning him just and just putting him into an asylum. She leaves Franklin with the chilling thought that someday there's going to be a war between telepaths and mundanes. And that's that's the episode. Where do I start with this episode? <clears throat> <laughs> let's get it out of the way. Let's let's do this at the top and get it out of the way so we can actually talk about what oh this my God, episode the Nazi is. Shit? No, no, the X Men shit. The X Men shit, obviously. This the is, fact that some, like, this is obviously an X Men episode, an X Men comic. Like I'm from I mean, this X Men comic. I can't tell you which one it is, but this is like three different X Men plots rolled into one. Maybe well, one no, of them hadn't been written yet. It's it's the X Men comic. It's the generic solution to mutants with some kind of virus and then captive mutants being used to hunt humans as controlled by the government. It's literally like (laughs) pick your three favorite plots from any particularly future set X-Men storyline and you will have the plot of this episode. There's the like fucked up experimented on mutant sickles too. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, it's like it's like between 
Like, and I'm so glad you caught the Days of Future Past reference as yeah. well. Um, no, it's 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 so, but it's just like, was JMS trying to pitch himself to get on the to like? It was the '90s. There were a lot of people going through that office. Yeah, was he trying to line up his next job? Seriously, because I mean, he, he wasn't sure canceled. about season five. I right. wouldn't be, you know, who knows? I mean, God, look, I can write the X Men. I already did. Yeah. What here? Here, I'm just gonna put this out of the ether. If instead of onslaught, we got JMS writing the X Men, <laughs> I don't know which is worse. Uh, I'll tell you what, Justin. Let's come back to that in a few weeks. Wait, you're telling me that like that we're gonna get about like it. just Bester no, and fine. psychic it's fine. love child. Shh. It's fine. It's fine. <laughs> we'll come back to that in a few weeks. Don't worry about it. It'll be fine. <laughs> I can't Listeners, the, the look of fear on Justin's face is palpable and beautiful. Yeah. Onslaught? Okay, so with that done, by, by show of hands, does anybody care that Garibaldi was telepathically manipulated? And does that make them more sympathetic to Garibaldi now that he's been exonerated in no, any way. No, I have, I can back this up. So I care. I'm glad. Nobody raised their hand, I'm, just to be I clear. I care, but not like in a way that makes me sympathetic for Garrett Baldi. It's just like the way that like, it's the way that like Poirot explaining a murder is enjoyable. <laughs> but it doesn't actually get like, you know, it's like. Yeah, yeah. You enjoy the reveal, but it doesn't. And then with my little gray cells, I made you more paranoid, Mr. Garibaldi. <laughs> Yeah, he just made Garibaldi more Garibaldi. Yeah, he, yeah, he that's didn't the like. Thing. I love that. Honestly. He didn't order and him to do anything. He just it's yeah. great. <laughs> and and that's that's the thing where I'm like, no, this isn't like we can't we can't just go back to like, oh, it's Garibaldi. He's back. He's normal. It's fine because like Besser actually did specifically says that he did not fuck with Garibaldi that much. He just like amped up some of the characteristics that we have previously seen a great deal in this character. Yeah. And so like being like, well, you know, I ramped up his paranoia by 30% and his rebelliousness by 50% and his, you know, bullheadedness by 20%. And it's a whole new Garibaldi who now suddenly is going to sell out Sheridan. Yeah. Bitch, please. No. Either he... Like, I'm far more inclined to believe Bester on this because he, at that moment, has no reason to lie to Garibaldi because he is Poirot doing his denouement. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's that whole scene where he's just like, he gives, he's giving no fucks and he's just like, you're. I love it. Yeah. Uh, God, what is the line that he says? He has that, that terrific line at the end. Hold on. I've got, I've got it here. My interest in you is over. Yeah, be seeing you, Mr. Garibaldi. Yeah, you, my interest in you Big is mood. over. And, and, Big mood. Yeah, and then he just, like, pieces out and leaves Garibaldi, like, slamming his head into into the side of the train or something like that. Like, God, it's so intense. I love it. And I just love how fucking ice-cold Bester is in that scene. I It's, yeah. it's honestly, it's great because it's like, what's going on here? By God, that's Alfred Bester's music! Yeah. Yeah, it's like, yeah. It's like it's just like fantastic. It is, you know. Yeah, it's perfect. My my reaction to it was the Beyonce meme, but 
Bester? Yeah, exactly. It was just like, it's, it was just like, oh, 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 oh. Yeah, my note, my notes are, does this make me uh, more sympathetic, more sympathetic to Garibaldi? No. Does this make me like Bester more? Absolutely. Yeah, because Bester fucking played the shadows. Yeah. Yeah, no. He the dude the dude like beat Earthgov and the Shadows simultaneously. Yeah. Uh yeah, it's terrific. I also love Ivanova where she's just like, shoot him. Like her loyalty there is a hundred percent clear that like you fucked with Sheridan, so if I see you, I'm gonna absolutely face hole you with a PPG. Yeah. Yeah. And I think I think she would have had the same reaction if he had sold out anyone, but just like you don't fucking sell out your friends. Yeah, yeah, you definitely uh, loyalty is pretty big with Ivanova, and I certainly the fact that it was Garibaldi though I think crossed a line yeah. with her. So but yeah, like we'll see we'll see in future episodes that you know we'll we'll see what happens with Garibaldi, but at least in terms of like. For the audience, I feel like he should have zero plausible deniability that, like, he was not, in fact, capable of all of this. Because, like, like without the tin- without the tinkering, like that we'll talk about know, that he- very shortly. <laughs> yeah, because it it wasn't like it wasn't a full reprogram. It's not like he had a completely different personality, like alternate Talia. I have I have beef with how this how how this is resolved and we'll talk about it in the next in the next episode. <laughs> yeah. Uh but for certainly for this episode it, it it seems like he's he's fucked. Uh other fun notes. Um cool to see the Agamemnon again. Yes. Yeah, it's really cool. I I love that there's an element of like you can tell that uh this was supposed to be like com- we were like wrapping a lot of stuff up. Um uh, I, my, this note is actually for 418, but 418 was supposed to be in in a, in the five season arc. 418, in, uh, the next episode we're going to talk about was supposed to be the end of season four. Okay, it would have ended with Sheridan being tortured and imprisoned, and then gone to season break, which is interesting, dark. But then they weren't sure if they were going to get season five. <laughs> but is it is it that much darker than uh, Sheridan you dying? Know, <laughs> dying? Yes, honestly. <laughs> yeah. Season so, but because they didn't know what the deal with season five was when they were making season four, they cinched up that plot and gave themselves the back couple of episodes of season four here to cl- to do a little cleanup uh, as a, as a just in case. So yeah, keep that in mind as you watch the remainder of these episodes, Justin. Yeah, one fear. This episode, you made this note. I forgot to write it down, but you made this note as well, Anna. Like poor mm-hmm. Lita, and I feel like the last couple of episodes we has had a recurring theme of like Jesus. Will someone fucking like buy Lita a hot chocolate and do something nice for her, and it won't that woman go away? Like. A massage, but like a massage by a massage robot that's like, you know, not going to have any like telepathic whatever's off of it. Yeah. Nobody deserves like a fucking break and like a lotto ticket. Just just something nice to happen. Like, yeah, just 
just a good break, like a like a nice vacay and just something nice. Lita, it's just been like shit weekend. for like four years for her. Yeah. It, these last few episodes have really like hammered home what absolute garbage her existence has been recently. And now she's been forced back into the core. And now like she's back on Mars and they're all like. Yeah. And it's only going to get like more unpleasant in the next couple of episodes. So. Yeah. I have a thing that I have beef with here, Ooh. which is. What's your beef? It's not it's not beef per se, but okay. We are recording this from the point of view of being 18 months through a global pandemic, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. Does this make anybody else feel like Edgar's plan is just like even more horrifying than it would have felt yeah. 18 months ago? I think ago? it's like, no, no, here's my thing. I think it's laughably bad. But see, like my my problem is like, okay, you know, thing number one, like, is this is this like telepath virus going to be stable out there in the general population i like, don't think so which is why again i say this yeah. is a very bad plan yeah I or think. like like what, there's no control like what's what variant are we on now <laughs> of coronavirus all of the like you know latent telepaths out there who like i assume that there are latent telepaths out there who are even weaker than ivanva who have just like a smidgen and who haven't been picked up by the core and yeah. don't even know that they're telepaths yeah. I mean, I don't know. I have no idea how this telepath virus works, but presumably it keys off of like the genetic markers of telepathy. Yeah. Like, it's like a lot of people have. Yeah. I mean, I can't imagine that it has some sort of like telepathy power rating must be, measure. Must be this powerful. Yeah. To become infected. I mean, it's a genetic thing. So it's not like it's like, I don't think we, I don't think we ever have like a thing of like, Higher-rated telepaths have more gene. No, um, I mean we know that there's we know there's a genetic element to higher P ratings because that's why they breed the high the better the P's the higher P's together. I mean, or is I mean, is there do we even? Know that? Yeah, we do know that 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 that. Well, we know that they breed them together. We don't know that that. that yeah, we don't. No, we do works. know that. I mean, that's how they that's how they achieved P12s was through selective breeding. They don't say that in the show, but like that's. In in the in the uh, books whose name may or may not be a spoiler, uh, yeah. they talk. Uh, it, it it talks about that fact. Okay, I okay. choose not to believe Fine. that because it's not on screen. <laughs> okay, well, JMS has said those are canon, so I don't care what JMS said. <laughs> but I I do I think you can infer though from the context, given the way that the core actively engages and has actively engaged in that aggressive breeding that. They at least believe that 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 genetics is a component in the strength of of the P score. We should get a geneticist on this show. Well, I mean, they'll they they'll blow. Cry. Yeah, they'll just cry about how bad the the depiction of genetics is on the show is because yeah. I mean, you can't selectively because... breed like like that for yeah no, for it's, a trait it's, it's in, very... in over a course of like three generations. We're not dogs. Like yeah. you can't you can't breed like a telepathic Sharpe out of the human race. Like that's not how this works. <laughs> Telepaths eight generations in can't like just have stubby little legs, have to go on a hover chair everywhere, shit themselves constantly. Yeah. Brachycephalic. Uh, so um I I just choose to believe that it's it's the core getting up its own ass of pseudoscience. 
uh, because I think that's more fun for me. Um. I mean, who who's to t- who's to say that the Vorlons weren't just like fucking with the selective breeding program? Yeah, <laughs> that'd be funny. I do like to think the Vorlons are like fuck around. Let's find out. Yeah. Like, let us secretly visit the 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 Psychor and like inject some of the super genes into them. God, I hate you. Thank you for reminding me of the origin of telepathy <laughs> in this fucking setting. On on the list of things that I would change <laughs> when we do our own B five is never to mention anything in the books. Telepathy coming from <laughs> like super telepathic cave people is very high on the list it's not number one but it's on like top three every time you remind me of this is a thing i choose to forget it again i wish i could but every time we talk about telepaths i'm reminded that they were originally like sl- like telepathic slugs that were bred into telepathic like cro-magnons and then their super telepath dna was sh- you know sp- Booged out into the galaxy for telepaths to crop up across <laughs> Thanks the Thanks for that word, dude. Uh, so I've got like a couple Garibaldi things I want to talk about as I, as I like just spin the wheel to get us <laughs> on the off ramp here. Uh, so I've got a couple Garibaldi things I want to talk about. First of all, Garibaldi himself acknowledging that he is Judas in this scenario is like the funniest shit because he real he realizes that he is Judas and still goes along with that. Yep. Um, to which my entire thing was just like uh, Zathras, I'm just put a let's just put a link to to Judas by Fozzie in the uh in, in the description there. Just because I've had it in my head all day now. Um Yeah. Because it's it's you some of you have to listen to Chris Jericho saying that's, I'm just going to force it on you, or at least put it in the show notes. It's a wild move for him, because he really does, like, recognize what he's doing. And th- this is one place where I reluctantly acknowledge that it's possible this is the influence of Bester. Because he's, like... Oh, it's him being like it's it's Garibaldi and like his most e- emphasized and shit, yeah. which is just like him betraying a friend and like Shakespearean like reflecting on it. I don't even. I mean, and being like, "Wow, that was a dick move on my part." Go me. Like yeah, like it's a Shakespearean soliloquy, but it's that like again, Fozzie by like Judas by Fozzie. What if I become? <laughs> Uh, but yeah, no, it's just like, it's so, it's funny. Okay, okay, second thing. I love how cleanly that fake Mulder came out. Especially <laughs> oh my how God. deep it's going. Because that thing is... It's, it's like a fake wisdom tooth. Yeah, no, it's just like, what the fuck? Also, what is it with the show and things hidden in teeth? I need it to be done. Yeah. Like... It, I was over it the first time, and then I was more over it, like, the second time. And (laughs) what are we up to now? I mean, it's a common, like, spy trope, I guess. Yeah, but I also, I hate it. Okay. As somebody who went to the dentist today, I hate it. Fair. Third thing. There's actually more, so we're just going to keep going down, though. Sorry. 
Garibaldi tries to channel his Tom Cruise here. And, and when he's telling Eggers, I want the truth, buddy, buddy. Yeah, it got it. <laughs> You're just like, that was like 10% of the energy of a few good bad. And I recognize what you were trying to do. And I also need you to recognize that it did not work. Yeah. Like, that's one of those things, like, you, you should, like, catch in a take and say, mm, let's do that one again. No, no, no. That, like, they're like, you're clearly referencing a movie that came out, like, less than five years ago. You know, an Oscar-nominated movie. And it's like, you're just like, mm, nope. That it's, it's, it, people are either going to laugh at it or they're going to think it's cringe. <laughs> For 2021, guess what? It's both. Yeah. <laughs> Garibaldi thing number four, and this is the more serious thing that I want to like talk about. The scene where he fucking betrays Sheridan has the most batshit guano camera work. Okay. <laughs> like, I know what they're trying to do. What it looks like is somebody parodying an end-of-season montage in Breaking Bad. <laughs> like, yeah. But like, it's, like, it's like there's decent choreo, but then the camera work is like... I get what it's trying to do. Yeah. I, I want to propose something to you. Rewatch that scene on mute and play Benny Hill. <laughs> I mean, the, the, the grunge rock in the background is pretty <laughs> darn, like, dissociative. I'm just yeah, saying. It's a, it's a, it's a it, big jump from like, It works then, way better like with the, Benny the Hill. And then there's, like, the Garibaldi, like, sitting there with, like, the, the light flashing on his face from different directions. Like, he's at a goddamn rave. Yeah, it's it's a lot. It's reach exceeds its grasp. That. <laughs> that's I'll a good way. That. That's a good way of putting it. There's also the disorientation rotoscope. Yeah, they do that too much in this show. I, I get that in they this were. Season. Yeah, it's a lot. <laughs> then there's uh, Edgar's whole plan. Edgar's plan is like, okay, here's my thing. Like going back onto the X Men thing. This is like. A D list of like D list X Men enemy pl like oh, plot. Oh yeah, no. Like this isn't even. I'm going to build humongous purple robots with toboggan hats, <laughs> um, who will be able to be logic braided out into flying into the goddamn sun by one of their targets. Um, yeah, this is like what like the third cousin of a Trask would come up with. Yeah. This isn't even like Larry Trask, what he would do. Like, this is just like, yeah, no, it's exactly what like a corporate person would think of like, like, I'm not going to kill all mutants. I'm going to make all mutants dependent on a drug for, for me to, for me to produce and uh, make progress off of, which is just like such a, <laughs> yeah. It's so convoluted. It's just like, dude, just murder people. Yeah. You'll have more fun. The 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 way that he says, like, we have a final solution. No, we have a... F yeah. yeah. And then, like, stops. Like, he, he pauses for a second, like, thinks to himself, and then he just fucking says and it. And then just says it. You're just like, okay, just gonna... You realize it's a Nazi... Re you, you sound like a Nazi, and then you're just gonna go with it anyway. Gross. I actually really liked that moment though, because you 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 yeah. realize there that like what kind of a person Edgar's is there. Yeah, where he has like some degree of self awareness, but also like is like yeah no, but it's cool. It's yeah, cool. 
I'm just an Aussie now. It's fine. Yeah. I did not see that coming. <laughs> uh, you, you, viewer, you, uh, listeners did not see Justin flip me the bird or Anna's look of tolerant disgust, uh, at that joke. Uh, <laughs> but I did. And that's what matters. Do we have more to say about this episode? I do like how, like, Mars has just become Seattle in the 90s with its music taste. Mars is such a weird, we probably, maybe we'll wait till the end of the season to talk about it. Yeah, it's a, it's a whole lot. But I really do think we, we probably at some point do want to have a talk at the end of this season about, like... Just Mars. About Mars. Yeah, just, like, the whole aesthetic of Mars and, like, what they were doing with Mars in terms of the plot line with it. Uh, but, yeah, like... It really does feel like they kind of gave it like a Pacific Northwest grunge feel, which is a weird, like, I'm not sure what JMS was doing there. <laughs> not sure what yeah. message he was sending. Like, did he think grunge was like the the music of anarchist rebel? I, I don't know. I, I, I can't. <laughs> I'm not prepared to speculate there. I need to think about it longer. But I also have one more note that I want to point out that we're going to be doing for the rest of the season here is that. This is the first episode that I've watched. This is the first episode we've done that my first time watching it was like the week of recording. Nice. Normally it's like I'll rewatch it because I'll get ahead and rewatch it so I can get more cogent thoughts. So we're all just getting like fresh first takes here, which um, is a bit of a spicy meatball. And I'm probably going to do this at least for the rest of the season. Yes, yeah, it's, it's we're we're kind of getting some. Um, it's it's like a li- <sighs> like live tweeting, right? Yeah, but yeah, I, you have to you have to at least live tweet uh, deconstruction though. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I do that already. I just like, it, I, I'm not going to do it for episodes that I have to do the summary for because that's so much goddamn work. Yeah. Um, so, but, but like, we'll do that through at least the season four. I'm probably going to shotgun beer like all of season five. <laughs> just because <laughs> it feels like I should have that, that, that unhinged energy one last time. Yes, absolutely. Um, we got anything else for this episode? Well, we we do have we do have one last thing, which is that Ivanova really needs to learn to not like doom the plot because once again she says something like, "As long as nothing goes wrong," it's like Ivanova, stop. She does that a lot. Yeah. Yeah, a lot. Uh, we are now moving on to season four, episode eighteen, intersections in real time, written by J. Michael Schinsky and directed by John Lafia. We start with John laying in his cell, recalling Garibaldi's message for him and Ivanova's warning about the setup, and then the final ambush. A man with a briefcase enters, along with a table and two chairs. The man, of all things, inquires about his medical history. He demands truthfulness from John. John moves towards the man and is shocked by a Centauri pain giver. If he comes within three feet of the man... Centauri or Narn? It was purchased from the Narns. I assume it was Centauri. Okay. You just have Narn pain giver in your notes here. So Yeah, I'm just... no, I, I quickly figured it out that like, oh no, that's a Centauri design. The Narn, like, but it was purchased from the Narn. Okay. It's shiny and gold. Okay. No, fair enough. Yeah. Just want, just saw the note. The man insists that he is not the enemy and that he is not invested in this. And it is merely his job to ensure John's cooperation. Excuse me, I'm gagging myself right now. Um, John is bolted into his chair. He begrudgingly answers the man's questions about his medical history, and the man says they can begin. After the credits, he comes back in 
and the man tells John good morning. John argues that it can't be morning as it was dark when he came in and he saw daylight earlier. But the man shows that he can manipulate the light of the facility outside. He punishes John with the painkiller for contradicting him. The man takes his time with starting, even, attack, even uh, taking his time to eat a sandwich. He questions that John had never shown any interest in politics before taking command in Babylon 5. So he questions John if he's been under the influence of other people. John denies this, but the man suggests that we're all subject to other people. He lives in a society. How very clever. <laughs> the man offers John some of his sandwich, suggesting that it is lunchtime, and tries to get John to agree that it is lunchtime. John says that it's lunchtime somewhere, and the man gives him half of, it, half of the sandwich. The man starts to describe the truth as fluid, that John started believing the Minbari were enemies, and now they're allies. He had sworn an oath to Earth Force, but now Earth Force is the enemy. He says that he must accept the malleability of the truth. The man says that John is being dishonest, while he has only told the truth. He also reveals the sandwich has been poisoned, <laughs> and, he, and that he has pulled an ego Montoya. He has developed a immunity to the poison. John won't die, but he'll feel like he's gone through hell. The man returns sometime later with John on the floor. He apologizes, saying he must break John's body before his mind. He says they're being monitored, and if his superiors don't see progress, more drastic methods will be taken. He offers John some water and promises it is safe. With an Alka-Seltzer tablet. He tries to get John to confirm some basic information, but John resists. The man tells John that John's father sends his regards, saying that he saw him at another facility. John thanks him for that knowledge, and the man implies that his father's captivity is based on John's compliance. The man then produces a list of charges, including treason, immunity, and the destruction of the EAS Roanoke back in Severed Dreams and the murder of its crew. He demands that John signs the confession. John demands a lawyer, but the man says that he has no rights, no lawyers, and no hope. His only escape is a confession. The next time the man returns, he comes with a drazi, played by Wayne Alexander, a fucking course. Um, what is placed in the other What chair. does this guy have on JMS? Did Does he have I pictures mean, it is, or something? I think, it, I think it is a symbolic casting in this one. Like, it is... We'll get to this. For the voice. We will get to this. We will get to this after I'm done okay. with the summary of of the like my reasons. All right, for this. carry on. The man has the Drazi confessed influencing Sheridan and plotting to overthrow Earth. John tries to get him to stop. He says that once they surrender, they're expendable. The Drazi fortifies and says that he will not cooperate further. The man tries to get him to continue, and when the Drazi refuses to cooperate, the Drazi is strapped to a stretcher and carted away. The man tries to move right on to getting more information from John, but John demands to know what is going to happen to the Drazi. The man says that they are all expendable, except John. His superiors want him broken so that his confession is sincere and that John does not become more trouble. The lights flicker and the Drazi screams from another room. The man then starts playing an audio loop, playing a message demanding John's cooperation and obedience to the state, and leaves it on for the entire night. When the interrogator returns, he stops the audio and checks a saline bag that it was attached to John. He says that unless uh, Sheridan cooperates, he won't receive any more tr nutrition. The man tells him that all he needs is a signature and a sincere apology, and that it's all John's fault. That he's the only reason he's staying here. His interrogator says that he won't be a martyr. He'll be kept alive until he's forgotten, so that he can be changed and shown off as a sign that the system cannot be beaten. John sees a hallucination of Delenn behind the man, and he spits on the confession. He says quietly, no. 
Man says that he wish, wishes John hadn't done that, and he has no control over what happens next. He leaves, and he, when he returns the next time, he is much more assertive. The man says that John's a war hero, and the credibility of John has become a liability, and the confession is needed. He says that the only other option is a posthumous confession, and they can falsify it, and his superiors are trying to consider it now. The man pleads with John to let him save him. John remarks on an earlier comment from the man, that the preeminent truth of our age is that you cannot fight the system. But he reminds his interrogator that the truth is fluid. And so long as one person stands up, it breaks the system. The man asks him if John can win. His answer is that it is every time he says no. His interrogator asks him to sign the confession, and John replies no one more time. Orderlies enter the room and strap John to a gurney. The man tells him this is his last chance, and John simply does not answer. As he is wheeled through the halls, a priest reads his last rites. As John reaches a light, he sees Delenn. He is wheeled into a room with a hooded figure who leaves. Then he is placed in another chair, and a different man enters who starts to ask about his medical history. The hooded figure re-enters the room and takes off the hood, revealing he is the Drazi from earlier. But as the camera pulls out, we see that this was merely another illusion of John's. This is a lot of an episode. Yeah. Um, uh. I do want to I do want to point out that like this is structured very much not like an episode of television, but instead of like a, a, a play. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah. I remember when I saw that my only recollection of this episode before sitting down to watch it again for this was I remembered there was an episode where Sheridan was captured. I remembered that as a younger person, I thought it was boring as shit. Because nothing happened. And that all the episodes after it were more interesting. That was all I remembered about this episode before we rewatched it. In rewatching it, I thought it was a lot more interesting. That said, I, I really appreciated the performances, especially, I mean, Boxletner delivers his standard, not his standard, a, a very good, per, a very good Bruce Boxletner playing John Sheridan performance, if you know what I mean. Yeah. That said, I do feel like it's, there are parts of it I feel like if we did not live in a post 9-11 world would come across as super ham-fisted. Yeah. Li you know, thanks to 9-11, there are parts of this episode that that are like uncomfortable almost. Like, I mean, A, the torture yeah. scenes. Like the, whole like the whole concept of torture is much more politically like and socially freighted than it ever used to be. But the whole concept of like, Truth being fluid is bananas in a way that I don't know was necessarily the case before 9-11. Like, we didn't have that. I don't know. It just wasn't as much a part of, like, the public zeitgeist that, like, political truth was, like, garbage. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's it's uh, it's an interesting episode. It's a lot of episode, and I can't believe that it is, like, just an episode that is just that. Um, there's nothing else mixed in. It's just, yeah, it's just these two actors essentially. Yeah. You can definitely tell that they were out of fucks. They, they didn't think they had another season coming. So JMS was just like, I can do whatever the fuck I want now. Yeah. I mean, I feel like it is really jarring in terms of like the narrative continuity yeah. of the show, but that's not, but I think that's, that's also what it was going for. Mm -hmm. So here, here is a thing that I think is my problem with it. I think it's a well-acted episode. 
there's no conflict in this episode, really. Or at least, there isn't... We don't really get the stakes. We don't get a conflict for John, really. Because he's never... He never really caves in. I mean, here here is a thing that we have... We, we know about torture and have known for a long time is that torture doesn't work. It is an ineffective method of extracting information from somebody who is uncompliant. And JMS writes that pretty well, actually. Like, yeah. it, it shows that, like, you know, John really doesn't waver. I think that makes for a pretty boring episode. <laughs> like, it's... I don't want to call it misery porn. It's... You know what it is? Ah, oh, fuck. You know what it is? It's the There Are Four Lights episode of Babylon 5. <laughs> okay, yeah, but, like, I think, like, the Four Lights episode has much more interplay. Yeah, absolutely. And there, there's a lot more... The, the conflict is a lot more dynamic. Yeah. And even just having the... Like far more um, flamboyant, it was like Cardassian, yeah, interrogator, like to play off of Picard, like that. There are four lights. Like, yeah, I mean, it's you know, like, and and the thing of it is, is that like we also like we get the payoff at the end of the episode that like Picard reveals that like by the end of it, I was broken. Like he he reveals like how close it was, and that like it that retroactively makes a lot of the scenes more interesting. Yeah, supposedly according to the JMS speaks, not the JM to the Lurker's Guide for this episode. A lot of this episode is reminiscent of the Prisoner. Mm, okay, but um, JMS denies yeah. that it is at no, all. JMS has never heard of another television. That show. it is at, at all inspired <laughs> by or referencing the Prisoner, despite the fact that apparently it is very, very structurally similar to some, like, I think a Prisoner episode or something like that. Jamis has never heard of another TV show or another movie unless it is near. Or another book. Like, yeah. yeah. Um, but we're, in the next episode, we're going to talk about the one the one Tolkien reference that Jamis missed. Yeah. That he, that he could have gone on. But I, I mentioned that because I think, I wonder if that's part of, like, why this feels wonky-donky is there is a certain like context that this is existing within that was relevant at the time. Cause I've never seen I don't the prisoner. Think so. The prisoner is a show from the sixties. So it's like, it's not ex- like the, the, the prisoner is sort of like, it's a formative television show, but it's also from like the sixties. That's the sixties to the nineties is not too far off from the nineties to the 2010s motherfucker. Oh my God. I mean, like, yeah. Feel old! <laughs> Suffer with me! But I think it's like, I, I think it's like this This episode just like, there, there isn't a conflict in this episode. We're never given a belief that, we're never really given a belief that John would compromise himself. Yeah, no, I agree. Yeah, that, and, I, don't, I don't think that there's any point where we have legitimate fear that John is going to break. Um, I think actually, possibly putting his father into more direct danger might have done it. Yeah. If they had made him despair more, it would have helped. But he he doesn't even seem like he's despairing for most of it. Yeah. We never even get a thing of like, I'm never going to see Delenn again or anything. It's just like, yeah, it, it, it's really just like there isn't a lot Yeah. there. I mean, it, it's, yeah, they're like, it's a fun episode, like in a sort of, like, in a void of just, like, the structure of it and how it's shot and stuff. There's some cool stuff going on. It's well-acted. It's just, 
there's a lack of like real dynamism there in the plot well and then there's the thing where it's like cyclical right where like they they're like you know trying to play it up like he's you know about to be taken and killed and then they just set him up in a new room which like on the one hand i know that they're going for the feeling of like yeah this will just keep going on forever but on the other hand like john knows the plays now right yeah and he knows there's no stakes because they can't kill him right so the worst thing they they can do is they've just showed that they like they they just showed that they're not gonna they're not gonna kill him. Part of it is also that like we get the interrogator for me. Okay, I'm, I'm gonna go on this because it's gonna be it's I, I, so the interrogator. I think it's well acted, but I think it's not very well executed from like a writing standpoint because every time he cut because like all he says is like. You know, I'm never going to lie to you. I'm just here to do a job. And it's it's like about the banality of evil and whatever. But like, we know, we really know nothing about him. So we have nothing to even hate about him, really, beyond the fact that he's hurting our friend. And he keeps changing tactics. Mm-hmm. He's not even consistent. Like, like you know, he poisons John. He, like, but And like, he's like, oh, we've got to physically break you. But he never actually does anything to like hurt John again. He just like he keeps changing tactics, and if, I mean honestly, what it feels like is like is like this is how enhanced interrogation actually works. It's just like people have no idea what the fuck they're doing. They're just like operating it out of a playbook, and they're like the only thing the torture rewards you with, or the only thing the torture will get you, are the answer most likely to stop the torture. Yeah, um, yeah. And like John doesn't even give that. And it's just like it, it's. Uh, yeah, I, I feel like, you know, yeah. I feel like we should have had Sebastian as the as the uh, interrogator in this one. And this guy is the interrogator for the Vorlons. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, so I, I, I do want to talk about Wade Alexander showing up in this episode. Yes, absolutely. Because I, think that, I think that's a great casting choice because like, OK, if you're rewriting this episode, as say the passion of the Sheridan, <laughs> um, a sentence I'm not sure how I feel about. You make you give the Drazi there as like, or or you give Wayne Alexander as the devil in the desert. Like this is the this is the last temptation of Sheridan. We never get an established stakes for like what would John do to betray uh, what he believes in and. What if it is, I can, like, you know, what if there's an entire thing of, like... If they would let him, like, retire on Minbar or something. Yeah, like, or, like, you know, you'll get to, you know, there's the 20-year limit. Like, you know, maybe you hocus-pocus something of, like, you will get to live the rest of your natural life or something. You know, you can live to be, like, 150 with Delan. And, you know, something like that. Like, as a temptation for him. They're, like dangle something out there that would even make him consider like going back on what he believes in but it's not there like and Wayne Alexander is right there you've hired him for this but instead he's just like he's a drawsy who shows up for two minutes and I like I think it's an inspired casting choice to bring him back in like this darkest hour of Sheridan it's just there's nothing for him to do beyond scream yeah yeah this episode is like the more I talk about it, the more I realize how disappointing it is. Yeah, I think that's a big my principal takeaway from this episode is especially considering 
that as originally conceived, this was supposed to be the end of season four, how staggeringly disappointing this episode would have been if that had been the case. As yeah. a weird interlude between, like in the middle of everything going on at, right now in season four, it's just like disappointing and weird. But like, God, can you imagine if this was the end of season four and you're like, that's it? What the fuck is this? Like, as season finales go, this would have been a stinker. Could you could you imagine if this was the season four finale and then B5 got canceled? <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Nobody would remember this shit. No. <laughs> okay, that is sort of like the most abstractly funny thing I could think of. But it's just like, it'd be, it'd be terrible, but it's just like... From, like, a point of, like, we are doing this podcast, this is episode 46 that we are doing here, of, like, that would be funny. Yeah. Or, like, Ugh. there's so many things that would have made this more interesting, like, actually making it, like, more of a callback to interludes and examinations. Yeah, that would have been Would have been fun. Yeah. And and you could play back, you know, play on some good, like, flashbacky type stuff of, like, bringing up some emotional things with Delenn, and, like, that would have been fun. Yeah. You know, have maybe have the maybe have one of the temptation. To, you could have a temptation of like, if you're going to bring back Wayne Alexander, have something with Lorian being like, "Hey, hey, buddy, I figured out how to get you more life back." There's so much they could have done with it, and I get that they they wanted to keep it like low, like not make it tangled up in the plot. They wanted it to just be like torture Sheridan. But I think that's a failing. Like, I think yeah. the choices made about this episode are part of why it doesn't work. If that yeah. makes sense. Yeah, it's like there's nothing done to really set up this episode from, like, a stakes perspective. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, the the other the other thing that I think would have been good would be, like, you know, if they already knew that they weren't going to put this at the end of the season, then intersperse it with some of the stuff with people going to go rescue him, right? Yeah. Like, you know, you could have it be two-thirds, one-third, or something like that to weight it on the... But have that... You know, that would give the sense of, you know, the 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 clock running, Yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. Of, like, you know, all of this is happening while the other people are trying to rescue him. Like, rather than the two stories being told separately, because it, it, like, reduces the stakes for both versus, like, putting them alongside each other and having the tension of, like, will they get to him in time? Yeah. Is there, a, like, is there a ticking clock for, like, this is how long Sheridan has to break before they kill him? Or, you know, and it's just like, yeah, there, there's there's a lack of stakes in this episode, and it's just like... Mm. <laughs> Yeah. On that note. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, this is an episode that I'm like, I did the summary for, so I didn't like write a ton of shit about it. And I'm just like, oh, yeah, no, this. This is an episode that happened uh, and in a more perfect world, probably wouldn't have. Or be like very different. Yeah. We got anything else we want to talk about for this? Nope. Nope. Okay. So next episode, we're going to we're going to be we're going to be starting as we wind down season four. Uh, we're going to just be doing single episodes. We're going to be. Tossing these out like dollar bills. And so for like the last four episodes of the season, we're just going to be doing uh, single episodes. So next time we are going to be covering episode 19. Between the darkness and the light. Yeah, shit. (laughs) 
Until next time, VCNIA. The Babylon Project is an independent production. All views expressed on the show are our own. Clips from the original show remain property of the original owner. Music information can be found in the show notes. The rest of the show is licensed under a Creative Commons 4.0 share-alike no derivatives license.